So today's ad slot isn't sponsored. Instead, I want to tell you about a charity I work with who could really do with some extra help right now. I'd like you to contemplate for a moment about how you feel when you're really hungry, or if you have a child, how they behave when they're hungry. Terrible, right? Hunger affects everything. Behavior, mood, concentration, ability to learn. A hungry person, and especially a hungry child, isn't anywhere near their best self. Magic Breakfast provides free, nutritious breakfasts to over 1,000 primary, secondary, and ASL special educational needs schools across the UK. Every school day, they offer breakfast to up to 200,000 children. But it's also not just about the food. I've visited their schools and their clubs also serve as a place for children to come together, get support from teachers, catch up on homework, relax with friends, even get their hair braided. How needed is this charity? Sadly, very, and more so than ever. According to government statistics, before COVID, around 1.7 million children in the UK were living with food insecurity, meaning that they're at risk of hunger in the morning. That number is now looking closer to 4 million. And of course, with the cost of living crisis, it's just rising. I volunteer with Magic Breakfast. I'm on their development board, and I know the money goes where it's needed to supporting children, as well as lobbying for policy change to encourage the government to step in. Magic Breakfast actually always say that their ultimate aim is to make themselves obsolete, to end child hunger for good. If you have the ability to support a hungry child, please do check them out. It's magicbreakfast.com. Thank you. It's a heartbreak. It's the, the, one of the biggest heartbreaks. And, and to respect that if, it, if you're sort of supporting a loved one going through this, that they just need space. You know, I, I've, I didn't really, I disappeared for a year and all my sort of friends in the London Royal Ballet didn't know what had happened to me. They kind of, they didn't really understand the end of my career. And it's only now I'm talking about it, all these, you know, two decades later, really kind of coming to terms with like, what actually happened there. And I, but I also, if I'm honest with myself, there is a little bit of, a little bit of regret in that I thought it was all over. But now I look back and I wish that there was just a mentor or someone who said, take a break, but no, it's not the end. It doesn't have to be the version that you thought, but it can still be in your life. That would be my advice. Take a step back, but you know, it doesn't have to be the end. Also, if it is, there is so much. You know, when you let go of a singular vision, the whole world opens up. Welcome to Priorities, the podcast about the things in life that really matter. I'm your host, journalist and coach Lily Silverton, and each week, along with a roster of incredible guests, I'll be exploring how priorities inform and transform our lives, sharing mindset tips, strategies, tools, and inspiration to help you prioritize your own life. We'll be covering what we think is important and unimportant, what we'd like to work on a little more, and the moments that changed our priorities and lives forever. I hope you enjoy. My guest today is yoga teacher, studio founder, and author Naomi Anand. After a decade of teaching, Naomi founded the East London yoga studio, Yoga on the Lane, in 2012, and it has since become one of the most well-respected yoga spaces in the UK. She's created and runs two teacher training programs, one for adults and one for teaching kids yoga. 
and she's the author of two books, Yoga, A Manual for Life, and Yoga for Motherhood. Naomi has had many moments in her life where her priorities have had to shift in an instant, and I think this is a really valuable episode for anyone going through change or if you know someone who is. Welcome, Naomi. Hi, Lily. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. (laughs) Well, it's about 10 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. Do you have a morning routine of any kind? My morning routine, it's either get up, make the kids pancakes. They're kind of obsessed with pancakes. I'm also obsessed with making pancakes because it's one thing that I can do well in the kitchen. And then I either teach or it's the school run. So this morning it was the school run. And it's actually so, it feels really nice to do that. I don't always get to do that. Just been uh, running a retreat. So I've like, I bagsied, I bag. Bagsy doing it this morning, which sounds probably mad to lots of people. But yeah, often <laughs> I'm like up teaching and I miss that little moment. But it's like mm. a really so morning routine is just that really breakfast, kids or teaching. And yeah. Are you a morning person? So about I mean, at the moment, I would say not. I've had a sort of recurring chest infection is the very mm. bit boring but um and I'm I've got you know various health things and yeah so I've had to really get all the sleep I can get so I'm I'm quite slow in the mornings at the moment but I guess when I'm thriving when I feel like I'm on good form I set an alarm before the kids I or before I teach and I meditate and have a short moment of short practice for myself but in reality, the honest answer is at the moment, I'm just lying in bed trying to get every last second that I can just to sort of recover properly. Yeah. Oh, good. It sounds like that's exactly what you need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big believer in like just throwing the shoulds out. Yeah. You know? And and also like when I really like my meditation, my yoga practice to feel like it's a really creative thing for me. I don't want it to feel like a burden I'm quite I struggle with routine though Lily I I listen to your podcast and I love it and when I hear just you know just various little bits of other people's routines I think yeah I should I you know I should do that but (laughs) that's not what I believe in is it throw the shit (laughs) (laughs) well I love asking about morning routines because I'm kind of fascinated by them but um, I, I mean, I have no morning routine. I get woken up by whatever child has like bounded into our bed or screamed yeah. next door. So um, I think it's definitely worth saying that I think most people who listen to this podcast don't have morning routines. Mm. It's just always interesting to hear how people organize their days. I think so. I think so. It, it, what's What's interesting as well is like what we're all aspiring to. Whereas actually when I kind of let go of, oh I, oh, I didn't set my alarm an hour earlier and I didn't get up and I didn't have that moment for myself. When I let go of that and I kind of lean into the sensation of, yeah, waking up with a nose to nose with a child, you know, who woke me up three times through the night, maybe or not, or, you know, waking up completely squished into my bed. You know, there's something lovely about that texture of the of our existence as well before we kind of I need to get up and get on with my day and here's my long list of things I need to achieve Mm. so yeah I'm very much in 
trying to listen to those those almost like sensory punctuation throughout my day at the moment and I really think that that's a really good moment to notice the weight of my body mm. first thing in the morning like oh and not see it as a bad thing like oh I don't want to get up <laughs> <laughs> it's letting go of that control as well right like it's yeah. just a long list of things to achieve if that's very much a should thing of like how we think we should be living and how often we think a little bit too much about how we as an individual should be living and what we should be doing and whether we should have, you know, time to meditate and time to do all these things that we believe we must have to do whereby, you know, letting go of some of that is actually a lot healthier for our mental and physical health. Mm. Yeah. I think there's a lot of magic Mm. in there to in just you know celebrating the small moments and the the relationships that then thrive when you're noticing those small things rather than being in a rush to move away from that moment it's tricky in the small years though isn't it Lily with you know with the little people because of course they require so much of you and you have very I think if you have had a um you know, if you live a self-examined life before children, it fe- it feels quite clunky this moment before and then, oh gosh, and they arrive and there is, your time is squeezed and your nervous system feels this pressure in a way that is never felt. But I like, I mean, I like to think of it now almost like they, like they're like the little teachers, they're, you know, and they're, we're, you know, this is a moment to really call, be called to their, needs don't see it as a um, something separate from that practice whatever that practice is whether it's meditation or yoga or qigong or whatever it might be yeah so I like I mean I'm really working on seeing it all as the practice and enjoying that at the moment I think that's definitely a good piece of advice and one that can be quite hard to put into (laughs) practice as a parent. (laughs) Yes, it would be ideal to (laughs) constantly see them as teachers and every thing they do as a lesson and an opportunity to learn. Yeah, uh, Some of the time you're like, screw them, why? (laughs) Space, space, yeah, absolutely. Mm. So Naomi, I'd love to start by asking you whether there's been a moment in your life where your priorities have shifted completely. And I actually know that there's been a few. So yeah. what would you like to share, talk about first? So I guess the sort of the obvious moment was um, I I left home when I was 12 to go to the Royal Ballet School, which was an amazing opportunity. I left, you know, Leicestershire and my family and I was very much on that track to being a a ballet dancer. And I joined the Royal Ballet Company when I was 17. It was all going incredibly well. And I mean, it was a culmination of a few things. Uh, My desire to be the kind of best and, and, you know, to really see this manifestation of all my hard work and my vision to be, you know, like, doing as much as I could, I think put my body under such tremendous pressure. I mean, it was kind of nuts when I look back, I would, I would get up in the morning and I would train before training. So I would go for a swim or I would go on a 
um, pre-call machine at the Opera House. There's amazing facilities or I do Pilates for an hour before then doing a ballet class and then whatever. And I I, I ended up getting really injured. I had a knee injury. Um, I tore my meniscus. I had a popliteal cyst. Uh, and then sort of months later, I, I made a move from the Royal Ballet in London to the Royal Ballet in Birmingham and I fractured my foot and I had this, it was a pretty wild time because I'd left my full-time contract in London. It's a life contract. It's an amazing thing when you get into the Royal Ballet. It's kind of a really privileged thing and they, they really nurture you and take care of you. And when I left to go to Birmingham, I, I was so young. I was At this point, I was only 20. I assumed that my sort of contract was the same. And three months into my time in Birmingham Royal Ballet, I had a stress fracture in my foot and I was in such pain when I, I correct myself because I wasn't in any pain at all until I was examined and made aware of the fracture. And then I was in such pain. I couldn't walk on my foot. I couldn't believe it. Apparently I've been dancing on a fractured foot for six months without even knowing. I know my pain threshold was really, really high. And <laughs> excuse me. When I got called into the office by the director to say, your contract's not being renewed, I was in complete shock. I, 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 I was full of all the, all the things, shame. How am I going to tell my parents? You know, like, this is everything I've ever worked for. And I honestly, I didn't know what I was going to do. Like, even now, talking about this really honestly, like, unedited is rare for me, but it was a really, really difficult time. So I bought a round the world ticket and within about, I don't know, three weeks, I was in Thailand. <laughs> I'd never done anything by like this by myself. I'd been in an institution my whole life. And I, you know, I didn't even know what books I like reading because I was just this person that was a machine made for ballet and an expression of the music that was, you know, the choreography that was coming to me. And this was wild because I was left with a blank sheet and the entire world. And it is really exciting. It was a really exciting time. And it's where I took such a deep dive into yoga. At the end of this year of traveling, I ended up doing a yoga training and then very quickly just taught yoga full time. Um, but yeah, that moment was, I guess, a really, you know, everything changed, you know, everything changed. And I realized that I was a really different person to the one that had been dancing. All the things that I like to do, actually, I didn't, I don't like to train all day. I don't like to push my body hard. I don't like to numb out sensation. And although I think... Often people say, oh, you're a, you're a yoga teacher, you're a ballerina. Oh, that's a really natural sidestep. I think the quite the opposite. It's a completely different discipline. It's one is about pushing through and listening to demands and putting them in your body, regardless of what it feels, how it feels in your body. And the other is about tending to and softening into and moving from this really quiet strength. I guess that's where they meet a little bit. There is a kind of quiet strength to both of them. 
so yeah so that was that was a really big but beautiful beautiful time in the end hard and um at times you know a little bit kind of crazy i look back and i think wow i was so young 21 and had never done anything like that by myself and i was staying in some fairly suspect places you know i was doing it all on a shoestring um <laughs> yeah and i and it was pre it's pre internet so i had a sort of or like internet as we know it i could go to an internet cafe but they were constantly you know there wasn't enough service so i i had a calling card to call my mom but i also had a um i made her this photo album that i mean it was massive by I think four months into my trip and I sent her home this photo album it's quite funny to think now isn't it like a physical thing and in it was all these like different experiences and so she could see yeah amazing amazing moment that's an amazing thing to have now as well I bet yeah I well it's funny I haven't thought about it for a long time and even just mentioning it to you makes me think I need to dig that out and show the kids because it was that it was such an adventure like an adventure inside an adventure outside and an adventure around the world <laughs> yeah yeah it was, a, it was a kind of amazing moment hey if you're enjoying the themes in this podcast and want to delve a bit deeper into prioritizing your own life come on over to my Substack prioritize this where I release weekly essays, voice memos, and coaching questions on priorities, habits, values, and generally the stuff that makes for a better life. Search prioritize this on the Substack website or app. Do you feel like it took some time to find your identity again after leaving the Royal Valley? Yeah, I think it did and it didn't in that yeah there were like these kind of obvious questions of you know like who am I and what do I like just on that really kind of because when you're in something like the Royal Ballet you have a very you have the same schedule as all the people that you share your changing room with and you're in this kind of family it's really it's a really special and it's actually a really supportive environment there's a wonderful sense of camaraderie and you know I've met the dearest loveliest people through it um, despite the reputation of it being obviously it's very competitive but actually it's also this family it's it's a wonderful thing but then you can almost like lose yourself well, I shouldn't speak generally I, I think I lost myself in it you know you eat the sandwich that everyone's eating you you know yeah there, there is a kind of like falling into those habits so when yeah when I sort of took myself out of that I really allowed myself to be, I think, what was actually at the core of myself, which was quite a different soul to the one that was like pushing herself to be this striving. So, yeah, you know, just also the quiet of, I was always in a changing room with people, there was always conversation. Um, and then, you know, having time to really reflect and, yeah, read. I mean, I'm such a lover of reading. I've sort of educated myself through reading. And I'm so kind of hungry for for books 
I didn't know, I didn't discover that until my 20s, which is extraordinarily late when I look at my daughter who is devouring chapter books as a little person. But I just didn't do that because I had I had this tunnel vision from such a young age. Kind of new. Yeah. So I think it it did take a while almost to also trust that it was all gonna kind of work out because it felt like everything shattered. Mm. And then of course there was I like a what's next, what's what's next. And I thought I would go and study physiotherapy. That's what because I'd spent so long in the physio room and I had this kind of understanding of the body and I had this interest in taking care of people. I'm from a long line of nurses and yeah, I thought that's I thought that's what I'll do. That's my calling. But actually just everywhere I went, everywhere I traveled, I just I ended up doing yoga classes. And because I almost needed that for my body, because it, you know, to rehab, I sort of rehabbed myself, rehabilitated myself from injury. And I think through the yoga I realized, oh, there's this is something. This is actually a way of life I hadn't considered before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess over the process of that year, but also, you know, I'm still figuring that out now, 20 years later. We're all still figuring everything out. Figuring- <laughs> yeah. What advice would you give to someone who is listening that maybe has experienced something similar or is going through that or has a child or a loved one who's going through that where they had a very tunnel vision of what they were going to do and that's been disturbed? Yeah. Oof. I mean, it's, it's, it's such, I think to really respect that the person who's, it's a heartbreak. It's the, 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 one of the biggest heartbreaks and, and to respect that if it, if you're sort of supporting a loved one going through this, that they just need space. You know, I, I've, I didn't really, I disappeared for a year and all my sort of friends in the London Royal Ballet didn't know what happened to me. They kind of, they didn't really understand the end of my career. And it's only now I'm talking about it, all these, you know, two decades later, really kind of coming to terms with right, what actually happened there. Um, and I, But I also, if I'm honest with myself, there is a little bit of, like I, I almost could have a little bit of regret in that I thought it was all over because at that moment, one person told me that my, you know, this, my contract wasn't renewed. Now, if I, if I actually step back for a moment and I remember where I was at, I, I feel it's a great tragedy because I was, I was, I, I, I had such a low self-esteem, Lily, like, so it's a very low self-esteem. However, on the stage, I was absolutely thriving and, you know, this expression of it, of, a, of it all. But off the stage, I was kind of berating myself the whole time. I was so hard on myself. But now I look back and I wish that there was just a mentor or someone who said, take a break. But no, it's not the end. Because, it, you know, whether you're training to be, you know, um, at the Olympics or whatever it might be, it doesn't have to be the version that you thought, but it can still be in your life. And I, I really rejected ballet for a long time. I couldn't go to the opera house. I couldn't, you know, and, but now I'm like 
fully back in it as in going and loving it and supporting friends um and I'm really I'm really proud of my friends that continue to thrive in that career over time but yeah so I think that would be my advice take a step back but you know it doesn't have to be the end also if it is there is so much you know when you let go of a singular vision the whole world opens up and that's amazing you know so I think the kind of parent that I am I'm very I love my kids to I love my kids to have time to bumble about. They're not in like a million different clubs doing a million different things. We, we do a lot of hanging out. We do a lot of just like trying stuff. Um, and I'm really keen that they feel like that they they can do that. They can do lots of different things and as without this sort of pressure because I want them to feel like they have the whole world. Yeah. I don't know mm. if that makes sense. Absolutely. <laughs> mm. So talk to me about one of your priorities then, leading on from that. So creativity. Mm. And I'm really keen to kind of tap back into that. I see yoga as a creative practice. And one of the things I've written about in Yoga for Motherhood is motherhood is a creative act. And I really, that's something that's important to me. Um. Yeah, in, in this like broader sense of creativity, you know, just really tapping into, as I mentioned before, like the senses and and letting letting life feel and be as colourful as it as it is actually. Um, and then like another one is health, so supporting my own health. Um, I'm not very good at things like routine, but I would like to find time and energy to to really tune into what works for my body. I'm very good at kind of taking care of lots of other people, but actually, you know, I have type 1 diabetes and I can see my blood sugar, you know, on this wild escalator. And yet, you know, on the outside, I'm this very calm, steady person, rock for lots of people. And yet on the inside, there is this, whoa, big fluctuations. And I, I kind of need to really give that some space. I really need to, to work with what, what my body is feeding back to me. It's quite, I find it a really challenging thing to control. My blood sugar is really erratic. Um, how old were you when you found out you had diabetes? I was in my twenties, so yeah, I was twenty. I think I was twenty six or twenty seven, and yeah, which is about sixteen years ago. I'm about to be forty two. And when I got diagnosed, I'd actually just yeah, it was sixteen years ago. I met my partner, and I think it was like the first time in my life I felt truly safe and held and then I had this awful diagnosis and nearly lost my life I was really really poorly um I was it's very dangerous to be type 1 diabetic and undiagnosed and I unfortunately was for a little bit longer than I should have been and I'd I'd been you know I was losing my hair my hair was thinning and I was incredibly thin thin but eating so much I mean 
my friend Jane, who is a bit of a surrogate mother to me, um, she she was really worried about me. She thought maybe I was having like a, a had an eating disorder or something, which thankfully I, I, I didn't have that problem at that moment. But what it was was that everything I was eating was going into my bloodstream as sugar because the insulin was no longer there. And then, so my body went into ketoacidosis. So it was basically, I was just this like toxic, acidic body. Um, so I was really sort of, yeah, I was really unwell. And when I, when I finally got diagnosed, I was in hospital for a few weeks and it was actually an amazing moment because I lay in hospital having insulin for the first first time and I you know I'd clearly needed it for a while and I could feel myself coming back to life it was wild and I was like putting on weight before my eyes you know I was padding out it was it was the most amazing feeling when you feel like you're drifting and you feel this lack of control I had I had real um impending sense of doom which happens I think when you have something really really wrong and you you don't know what it is. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm very, very grateful for getting to the bottom of that. But it was also a really difficult time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially in your 20s, because you kind of, you think you know how, who you are at that point. At this point, I've been teaching yoga for maybe five or so years and I just met my partner and things were going really well. <laughs> and then and then I got really poorly really quickly. But I do think I'm really interested in in the, the the that relationship of you know often people talk about autoimmune issues they happen when after at periods of of acute stress not and actually I think I've got type 1 diabetes in my family. My great uncle is type 1 and various other distant relatives. Um, I think my body, you know, I had this predisposition and almost like my I'd been held, I've been holding on so tightly. It was going to happen at some point and it was almost like waiting for to be in the arms of my love, you know, like the one mm-hmm. that could actually like hold, hold me through it. Yeah. So... He's been amazing and continues to be like such a good partner and friend in supporting me with it because it's 24-7 like nothing else. Yeah. Did it mean you had to completely reprioritize at that time? Mm. Or were you already, I guess you've been teaching yoga for some time, was health already at the forefront of your mind? I think I thought it was. I completely changed how I practiced. I'd been practicing really hard and hot. <laughs> you know, it was all about kind of big, strong sensation. I thought I was being super kind to myself. You know, the messages, they were very much imbued with yoga philosophy. I've always been very interested in also Buddhist practices, compassionate practices. I thought that that was all kind of in play. And I guess you also had the the contrast of ballet before. Exactly. You can't go from like A to Z. You know, I needed to kind of yeah. slowly climb down the mountain. Um 
And I think Bikram yoga, which is what I was doing, felt like actually a very good shift from Mm. ballet, which is, you know, like this, where I was doing a class every day and it was sweaty every day. And so I did that. But yeah, now I realize that that also was pushing my system a lot, my adrenals a lot. I was teaching, you know, some weeks, I think I was teaching up to 20 classes a week in a hot room and then crazy doing yoga, you know, of course, would have pushed my immune system and my hormonal system a lot. So yeah, I completely changed how I practiced at that moment and had to rest in a way that, you know, I've, I'm one of those like pick myself up, get back on with it kind of people. And, and I guess this was a moment where I had to kind of really tend, tend to tend to myself in a different way. I was also really scared of needles, which was, mm. it, it was my one kind of phobia as a kid. Like I would sort of run under the table when I had to have my, you know, vaccinations or whatever. And I really was very scared of needles. And then suddenly I had to change my relationship with needles. And so like, this is not something that's hurting me. This is something that's keeping me alive. But I, when I was in hospital and I was on the drips and I, I mean, the, had the cannulas in my hand and you know I'm really sensitive to that I really didn't I found that really hard but obviously I was so grateful I was feeling better but when I just so remember the the nurse who came to show me how to inject myself the first time and I don't think I've ever been so in my adult life ever so scared like this is oh wow this is my existence every time I eat anything what like an apple I've got to do this like and the first time I came out of hospital and then it was David had um, been doing a creative writing course at Birkbeck and he um, he graduated his MA and I missed his graduation because I've been in hospital. But I was getting out in time to go for dinner. I was like, I'm going to make it to your dinner. I'm going to make it to your dinner. And we went to this restaurant at the Royal Festival Hall and I just remember being in the like disabled toilet with all my like diabetes paraphernalia screwing on my new needle and da 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 da. And it was the first time I kind of done it in the wild. It felt so huge. And now it's, I mean, it's hilarious because I just, I could do it with my eyes closed, you know, I just don't even think about it in that way, like the energy of it as much. Yeah. And I've actually, I've actually now got a little a diabetic pump, so it's fully attached to me all the time. It's sort of giving me insulin the whole time, which is amazing. Oh wow! Yeah, it's quite. I feel like a little robot. I can show you that. I mean, it's very cool. And I think Kate Moss's daughter has it. I see, you know, saw it on the supermodel, and I thought, yeah, <laughs> I could do that. I could do, I could do that. <laughs> it sounds to me like multiple times in your life you've had to or you've been confronted with a with a shift in identity and sense of self and work to reintegrate that each time yeah yeah however I was just teaching on a yoga retreat and one of these two women came absolutely gorgeous and one of them I think she was 62 and she was there with her best mate and she's a, she's a, 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 
a yoga teacher and a physiotherapist and a really interested woman. And she swims in the cold water and she is just always challenging herself, you know, that kind of person. And she was saying to her friend that, you know, like, or her friend was saying to me, oh, the question that she always asks her is like, hey, have you changed? Have you changed? And if not, like, come on, what are you going to do? Like, that's her thing. And I sort of sat with that on the way back yesterday on the train thinking, have I changed? Have I changed? I've gone through lots of changes. But actually, when I look and feel and remember myself as like a little tiny person and the things that I enjoyed, I'm fundamentally exactly the same. And like, I think anyone that met me as a child, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very recognizably me and how I look and how I sound and how I am, the things I'm interested to. It's almost like I've done a bit of a full circle. I think I've had a few like trying things on for size along the way, but yeah, the kind of like core of myself, I feel quite unchanged. I'm not sure what this um, student of mine would make of that. but <laughs> Do you feel like there have always been guiding values or principles that you call on? Yeah. Yeah. And I think a yearning to be a, like a yearning to, to be an expression of joy and hope um, and a, and a, and a real interest in creativity. Like as a kid, I, everywhere I went, I was drawing, painting. That was the thing that I loved. And I'm finally coming back to that now. Recently, I've just started doing drawing classes with a friend of mine and it's just been so nice to tap back into that yeah and guiding guiding principles I think also I I feel like I meditated as a child without knowing what it was and I think that's been a constant in my life and I've I think I, I used it when I was away from home and you know living in London and seeing my family for one night a month mm. um, I think I used it to find sort of that belonging and then I think yeah now I have kind of language around meditation but I I feel like I was doing it at a very young age excuse me yeah do you have a sense of when you feel out of whack with yourself like yeah are you I imagine you are because you do a lot of practice but are you very in tune with when things feel like your priorities are out of whack or you're not quite living in line with your values yeah 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 I think so I think um it was it was really difficult actually starting the year this year with I love the renewal the feeling of January I really like that kind of energy um of starting again and then just um just being hit by just not feeling not well and like coming in and out of this oh I think it's gone lots of, I know lots of people have had this really it, a friend of mine who's an acupuncturist he described it as sticky and I was like that's, that's so accurate it's sticky it's really kind of clinging um holding and you think you're kind of rid of it and then it's sort of back again um <laughs> sounds like you may you yeah know. I'm coughing as well so. <laughs> You may understand this. Perfectly. To say everyone's got it. <laughs> yeah, everyone's got it. Um, and yeah, I think yeah, that's been like a really weird way to 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 start to start the year. But it's also I had this big retreat where I was taking people away for 
four nights, five days, and I had so much practice planned for them that I kind of had to be well for it. And I'm very committed to my classes. So I, it takes a lot for me to cancel classes, but prior to the retreat, I had to cancel. Um, you know, I, that's, my body was just saying, no, lie down. And I would, you know, and David took the kids away for even one of the weekends so that I could just be in bed and horizontal for a whole weekend. So yeah, I think, I think I'm really in tune with my body, which is, which is a gift, but it's also a curse. I think I'm also in tune with, uh, the body as like the collective body. And I, f- I feel like I pick up on quite a lot. So I have to really manage my energy. Um, yeah. When I, you know, students, loved ones going through hard things. I mean, I can, I can feel that in my body. I can, I really, I feel like I can take, take it on. So I, I had to work quite hard at boundaries over the years. It's really, that is a priority actually healthy boundaries yeah in the energetic sense and knowing what's mine and knowing what needs to be sort of returned to where it to where it came from um because I'm yeah I'm open and I and I like that quality it's not like I want to kind of close myself down but I just want to work in a way that's sustainable Mm. like managing that empathy and compassion absolutely also towards yourself I think that's the key, right? Because very often people manage it outwards and then don't say no when they need to or don't rest when they need to or don't set those boundaries against people or situations that are toxic or stressful. Yeah. Realise that they're not actually living a life in line with what they think they do. Or, you know, if you're not empathetic inwards as well as outwards, then you're not living an empathetic life. Yeah, that's it. And I think it's really come like for me and how I practice myself and how I teach, it's very much the message of like little and often Mm -hmm. because in those like little check-ins, even if it's just putting your hands on your body and asking yourself a question, how am I, Um, you know, doing that throughout a day, throughout the day and taking a moment, you know, if you're writing, you know, when I was, I feel like when I was, you know, writing my books, I'm not necessarily built to sit at a desk but you would, I would sit for sort of hours and feel like things were flowing and coming out. And, you know, like, you know, you have to kind of follow that urge. It's really important when you're in a kind of flow state to go with it. But to stand up and to put my, you know, my arm at the wall and stretch and do those little things tend to kind of the things as they come up rather than leave them for later. Oh, you know, I'll stretch later. Mm. You're making me want to stretch now. Yeah. Stretch yeah, we should. Arms. We should Maybe totally do that. Listening can stretch their arms. Yeah, it? yeah. You're sitting at the Little compa- little compassion breaks. Um, yeah, it was sweet. The editorial team at Bloomsbury got really into this as an idea, and they would get up and like stand and do these like little <laughs> stretches. It was really. I was so delighted that that's what they were doing. So I think they were setting an alarm every hour. That's so what we should be doing, isn't it? In the Absolutely. office. Yeah, and make it normal so it doesn't feel, like mm. a weird, you know, it doesn't feel like a weird thing. You're there in the corner doing your, you know, little stretch. <laughs> I do a body shake, which I know you you do as well. I, I love yeah. Sarah Lowe from one of my teachers. 
um, which is just sort of standing and shaking for three minutes. And I teach it whenever I go into do corporates as a way to sort of release whatever, anything, but especially if you're feeling a bit angry or stuck and standing up. Yeah. And then one of the corporates that I went into, they integrated it. So they would do, they, the whole office would sort of stand up and just shake for a few minutes, which I never got to see, but I love the idea of. Oh, it's so good. I'm a big fan of um, Peter Levine's work. And he, what he's work, uh, working with kids and trauma, like trauma proofing kids is, uh, I need to find the correct title, but he's written about this and yeah. And you know, animals in the wild, they come up against stress and they shake, you know, they shake. And I love this idea that, you know, we are just an animal, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And, you know, really acknowledging that so often, I think with, teaching yoga that's the thing that's most moving for people is to 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 actually tune into that softness to tune into their body as animal body and then like release what's there because they've felt it for years but they've just their our brain our mind is so powerful it can just override any anything sensation if we ignore it yeah so that connection is i think it's so moving mm-hmm. and when you see people come into their body Mm, reintegrate yeah absolutely talk to me about your um kids yoga initiative it's a priority for you yeah this is exciting because I've been trying to you know figure out for years how to sort of support the the unit Mm. and through the pandemic I was teaching um the our, our kids school just on zoom and I kind of came up with, well, it's funny, we were just saying shaking, slightly different approach. So we would start every session with, because, you know, and some a lot of the kids are in flats and it's small and you don't, not enough space and all of that. So we'd start every session with shaking or running on the spot or walking on the spot. Um, and then they'd check to see if their heart was beating and then they'd give me a wave if it was. And so it was like this this little moment of teaching them and realizing, oh, you know what, these key key teachings that actually are really just important for getting on in life, you know, the the self-agency, you know, this for boundaries, this is my body, this is your body, for interceptive awareness, to feel sensation from the inside out, and then the kind of connection of eye contact. You can do that so quickly in yoga, and schools are so under-resourced. Um, so that was that 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 moment of just teaching them through the the pandemic. I kind of really got. I've been wanting to do this for years, but to to almost like design a course that could go into schools, a six week yoga course, essentially the same class, and every week a slightly different focus, everything from creativity to rest. We got uh, yoga matters very kindly donated props and including blankets they said if you know there's one thing that we could get you what would it be and I said don't worry about a mat but a blanket and at the end of every session they build a nest and they essentially kind of swaddling themselves and yeah I mean it's been amazing Lily sorry I'm going really roundabout way of telling you that we ran a yoga course a 60-hour yoga course teaching people to teach kids yoga whether they're parents or teaching assistants or yoga teachers or physical therapists of some kind. 
And then they went out into the schools and they taught these half an hour sessions, but as a six week course. Um, and we piloted that last year and it went really well. And so we're doing that again this year. We're training people to teach this kids yoga and then they can go out. And I mean, it's everything from the facilitators on the course are extraordinary and they're all women and they're just fantastically skilled. Um, Raki, one of the um, trainers, she ran an arts charity for I think like 30 years. And so she's very good at things like funding applications. So she goes real nuts and bolts of like, this is how to go out and do this. Um, and then we have a psychologist who works primarily with families and she's just got, she's just got so much experience bringing, looking at the whole brain child, you know, that mm. idea of, you know, not seeing and not labeling behavior. Mm. And, Actually, one of the things that was extraordinary, you know, I live in Homerton, Clapton, uh, and my kids go to the local school, which is a school that has been struggling. You know, it's not a good school even. It's, um, it's It's been in needs improvement. I think it's one of the most amazing schools in London because it's. Comp- I feel like it has its values, its priorities absolutely right. It takes care of all the children and the kids run in there happy and then mm. I see a school where children are thriving I'm not interested in Ofsted at all I think it's I think it's just ridiculous but anyway um one of the lovely things about the yoga and going in there and teaching these children is the children that have been perceived as you know struggling and having behavioral needs they responded so well to the practice and I think because they've mm. got all these options they're not pinned on a mat. They can come off it. They can come on it. It's interactive. They're moving their body. They've got so much energy. And then the teachers that we've trained, we've trained them, I, I think, in a really skilled way to tend to their own nervous systems. So if it's all kicking off and it feels like they're losing control, we've taught them real ways to just tend to their own nervous system and to communicate non-verbally and it's extraordinary how the kids just stop you know Mm. deep belly breathing standing you know open standing in a really grounded way and saying nothing and they all eventually it doesn't take very long and eventually you've got them again you've got their attention rather than meeting them at this kind of state of panic and then the whole session becomes about that so yeah some some important i would say really important life tools that they can can kind of go out into the world with and because there it's only a six-week course they leave they kind of show up for each session in a a quite excited capacity they know it's not forever it's this ongoing oh boring yoga lady it's like six weeks we've got six weeks you know this is what we go on this little journey um yeah so that's great and i i i do feel it's i'm not looking at setting it up like a charity that we then have almost like control all the pieces i'd much rather teach people the skills and give them the knowledge so that then they can go out and do it in their Mm -hmm. way i think there's so much more freedom in that and i think it has a potential to um, really start to spread out more, mm. ripple out effect more. Empowering others instead. 
absolutely yeah yeah I yeah. taught um with Camden Council maybe five years ago a project a little bit like that where I went into work with a school where the some of the children who don't know how many use the correct term but it was essentially sort of behavioral issues or yeah. additional needs and I had a really similar experience they were they were all very young at the sort of between the ages of seven and eleven and they I mean were phenomenal in the class I wouldn't have noticed any additional needs or behavioral yeah. issues they were just there and present and enjoying it and funny and engaged and yeah and the teachers said that it made a really really big difference that they saw them that they, the way in which they were operating was very different in the class versus their regular classroom which of course brings up all these questions about how children are taught and how we yeah. um, try and put them all into certain ways of being or yeah it's really nice I think that that connection and also how one of the other teachers on the course Avni Trevedi she's a osteopath zero balancer and does many therapies um, water therapy and all kinds of things and she gave me such a good piece of information um information years ago or or a suggestion when I went to see her and I was feeling quite bogged down pressured and she said oh go walk up high to the top of you know to the top of a hill and just be with an expansive horizon and I've really taken that and thought about that and in terms of the children who are always in you know contracted spaces and it's allowed you know for anyone with any sensory you know, who feel their senses heightened, you know, that's such a lot. It's this pressure, pressure, pressure. And then to go outside and to feel expansive and to see the sky, it's it really adds, I think, to the practice. It really lends, um, yeah, it, give, it gives them more opportunity to, to embody some of these ideas that we're talking about. They're less abstract when you can actually express mm. like that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And for anyone who's done yoga or for anyone who hasn't done yoga and doesn't realize this, but all the lessons from yoga are the ones that you take and apply them off the mat. It does, doesn't matter at all if you can, you know, balance on one leg. It's about, you know, taking that sense of balance into your everyday life or, you know, that sense of flexibility of mind is so much more powerful and important than any degree of flexibility in your body. Yeah. And, and learning how to fall and to, you know, to actually, you know, to, this to fall and to feel that it's okay to fall, mm. you know, and to fall in a way that's, you know, you're, you know, you can bounce back up. The ground's got you. And I think, yeah, there are, there's lots of good messages on there in the yoga practice. Mm. What would you like to prioritize a little bit more in your life, Naomi? I think I have a tendency to take things very seriously. <laughs> so I would like to have a bit more fun. I'm I wrote a newsletter on this a couple of months ago. I oh, I need to find it. It's all about prioritizing fun because I'm the same. I'm quite creative and serious. Yes. Uh, I've been trying to integrate a bit more fun into my life. I'll send it to you. Oh my gosh. Yes, please. <laughs> I love your newsletter. How on earth did I miss this one? But talk yeah. me through what that means to you. So, I mean, I am quite a joyous person. Like, I laugh quite easily and I, you know, not like 
I'm not saying that. I find it hard. You know, there are some friends, and I don't see them probably enough, but who really kind of get me and, and I'll cry. It takes me quite a lot to get to that point, to really. Mm-hmm. Um, but to just feel like I'm, I'm I, I kind of moving from an impulse of, of joy, like, in, you know, the decisions I make, not feeling too much burden and you know mm-hmm. i know this is a uh, yeah a, a privileged place to be standing you know but i've worked really hard the last few years and i've written a few books and i've done a lot of teacher trainings and i've i feel like i've done a lot mm-hmm. and and this period for me like the ki- i think also the kids are really curious at the moment they're 5 and 8 it's a really sweet age and they're really they're really nice they're really nice company. I'm really enjoying this this phase in motherhood. And um I I want to have experiences with them that are fun. Mm. You know. Cause I, I'm I'm ready for us to be kind of more of a yeah, rather than kind of running away from them, which I I think I definitely did in the early years. I think I so was desperate for space that when I needed my to feel any joy you know not any joy but you know like joy in myself I would kind of find that I'd I'd kind of go out for dinner or you know Mm -hmm. but actually at the moment my happiest is with them and so I really want to build on that and find ways to build on that yeah maybe travel a bit more with them um you know even if it's just getting on a train to Margate (laughs) I live in East London so it's not far (laughs) feet in the sand you know Mm-hmm. Doing, doing a few things that scare me you know like pushing myself maybe a little bit in a not in a sort of self-development way but more in a kind of could open up my life I don't drive Lily I'm really embarrassed to say this um and I wonder if I learned to drive I'd be able to just bundle everybody in and just be like let's go um but yeah at the moment but I can do that on the train I'm you know it's all good. Mm. More joy. More joy. All really good, um, but slightly abstract ideas. So yeah. if, you, if we were coaching and I were to say to you, okay, what does that actually look like? What could you do this week or this month? What pops into your head? Hmm. This week or this month? I mean, I really want to live in a in a different culture at some point I want to immerse myself in a different language I want to I want to learn a language so I could do some research this week into you know maybe and it might be just spending the summer in Spain say so and the kids are learning Spanish at school so that makes a lot of sense so I could do some research this week into you know different Spanish cities or by the beach or where would be no you know understanding that I don't drive so yeah probably a city is best (laughs) or good public transport access you know yeah so I could do a bit of research this week and then the other thing I could do is I would have every every night kitchen discos because kitchen discos are a thing of beauty for all beings, I would say, all ages. 
Mm-hmm. And I think making them a daily thing. So yeah, tonight, pick up the kids, kitchen disco. Okay. Yeah. Kitchen disco every night this week. Every night this week. <laughs> good. Maybe I'll have one. You and Lily. You're inspired me. Yeah, yeah, I'm in. I'm yeah, we're in, we're in. <laughs> Cindy Lawfer all the way. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> So finally, before I leave you to go plan that kitchen disco, um, <laughs> what is something that isn't important to you? What do you not prioritise? I think for now, it's it's really not about self-development, like that different self-awareness, but, you know, I'm not doing any courses for myself. I'm not doing any, I'm not imagining that I'm going to kind of growing and like obviously we're always growing and changing but I'm just going to try and really tend to what's in front of me mm-hmm. and to, to not kind of do anything massively new at the moment I mean that all might change in a, in a few weeks because it doesn't take, take very long for me to kind of get itchy and excited about something new but yeah I think for now just being where I am yeah. that sounds good watering the garden watering the garden yeah exactly exactly and knowing the ground Mm. have I shared with you one of my favorite quotes which is the grass isn't greener on the other side it's greenest where it's watered yeah yeah I always think of that when uh when I think of what needs doing in my life yeah I'll do this I've been thinking about how to not add in all the time but rather subtract or as you say like just stop that striving and look at what you've got yeah prove that instead yeah yeah and 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 just really I I do think getting to know what's that what that is Mm. you know yeah maybe improves the wrong word yeah getting to know and being with it yeah it just feels more friendly doesn't it it feels Mm. like less striving and less about time Mm -hmm. and more about yeah, just, just, you know, becoming more familiar with, with what's there. Yeah, let's see. <laughs> right now, too. I feel good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> and then let us know in a few weeks once you've got like a new huge project on. Yeah, and I'm completely burnt out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, Naomi, thank you so much for talking to me. Lily, thank you for having me. It's been an utter delight. If you enjoyed this episode of Priorities, I'd really appreciate it if you could make it your priority today to hit subscribe and also rate and review as this helps other people find it. Thank you so much for listening. Take care.